Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk, one of our very special Thursday shows. I love Thursday shows because we have an in-studio audience, and we kind of been laughing before we get started, but a great in-studio audience uh, who are able to ask questions uh, toward the end of the uh, show. And we also have two very special guests joining us today. And today, what we're going to really focus on is where we are now that we are near the end of March of 2022 and looking into claims of election fraud arising on November 2020. Our two extremely special guests in studio today, one is Seth Keschel, the other one is Dr. Douglas Frank. Both of them have been on the show before, and they also both spoke at our summit, our Women for Freedom Summit, this past year uh, in Dallas. I want to urge you, mark your calendar. Our Women for Freedom Summit this year is October 15th. It's going to be another great one. You will love it. But one reason I wanted to focus on election fraud, I'm going to say like three preliminary things and then have you tell, have them tell us what they've been doing. Uh, one is that the whole issue of election fraud has become a very politically fraught issue, meaning that because the Department of Homeland Security, as one example, put out a flyer, a bulletin five weeks ago now, saying essentially that speaking about potential uh, believing in election fraud or questioning the 2020 election maybe could constitute uh, being a domestic terrorist. And this does cause some people to decide they just don't want to talk about it, that they somehow are going to move forward and, have, and do better somehow uh, in this coming election in the fall of 2022 for the, the midterm elections. And again, uh, at the next year, at the next time we have a presidential election. So a lot of the fear, maybe we should stop talking about it. Uh, number two is some of the evidence is complex. It's one thing. I make this example all the time. If it was a bank robbery and you have a camera and there's a guy and everyone can see it, it's a simple question to understand. You know, that was a bank robbery. There's the guy. Election fraud is necessarily complex to understand. And in part because the people who would be willing to do these kinds of things to manipulate a national election did not do it with one clumsy step. There are many different uh, vehicles or avenues for, uh, which uh, people can use to participate in election fraud, uh, to, to conduct election fraud, and finding out and looking for proof that's comprehensible to the average citizen is pretty hard. It's, it's hard, and it takes people who have diligence and patience in pursuing it. Uh, and the last point is that there are literally thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of Americans involved in election processes in their states. Many of those people have been volunteers for years, and they truly have no knowledge of and certainly participation in any form of fraud. They're just doing their jobs. And many people put feel a little bit challenged, a little bit uh, accused, and they don't like feeling that way. And so they're just kind of saying, hey, wait a minute, we, we, followed, the, we followed the book. Look, I checked off these four boxes using my job. That's what I did. And so the idea of convincing those people that their work was worthy and valuable, and yet we still have massive proof of election fraud in this country. And the fourth and the biggest thing I want to talk about is in addition to the evidence that has been uncovered uh, and the vehicles used to commit election fraud, is what do we do about it? What are our steps forward as citizens who love America? What are our steps forward to prevent this kind of thing from ever happening again? And with that lengthy introduction, I want to welcome to the show Dr. Douglas Frank and Seth Keschel. Hi, gentlemen. Thanks, Debbie. Great to see you both. Um, well, I sent uh, to Mr. Becker, my wonderful producer, uh, for uh, under your names, I just put your Telegram channel because I think that's the way most people can follow what you do. And maybe you want to add other ways people can follow you. But I spent the morning 
looking through your Telegram channels and recording all that you've been doing. It, it's truly amazing what you've been doing in uncovering election fraud and trying to lay it out there. So I'm going to start with, I know our many in our audience have met you before and people at our summit have, but I guess I want to quick have each of you introduce yourselves. Like, how did you go? Because you really aren't political, long-term, you know, activists. You got involved in this process regarding election fraud because of concern about what you saw. So I guess I'm going to start with you, Dr. Frank. How did you get involved from a brilliant math, actually tell our listeners, he founded a school, he founded a school in Ohio for extremely brilliant children who uh, do high level math, which even at my age, I would never consider attempting. And he's teaching it to high school kids. So very, very brilliant mathematician. How did you get involved in this quest to, to uncover proof of election fraud? I voted in 2020 with my son. It was his first time. He's 18. My first time was in 1980 for Reagan. And so we went together and we voted and I believed it was real. So that's how new I am to this. Although I've been modeling elections for 40 years, I've been modeling ever since because I like to do mathematical models. So then after that election, um, which wasn't really an election, uh, I was invited by the Pennsylvania State Legislature to look at their numbers, and I exposed massive fraud there, which they agreed with. They agreed so much, in fact, in Pennsylvania, that the legislature threw out their entire voter rolls for their whole state and hired another firm to rebuild it. Wait, wait, when was this? December 21st, 2020. They in Pennsylvania threw out their voter rolls. This is what I want for the whole country to do. Absolutely. Okay, go ahead. I, and so I put it to them. And the nice thing about working with the legislature instead of against them is they can subpoena all the records. I have access to all the computer logs. We can show all the hacking that took place. It was easy to show them, and they agreed. But they covered it up. They agreed, and they saw the evidence, and then they covered it up. Why? What's, well, your, what's your perception of what? They don't, they don't want to fix the problem. They, they, um, they, they hired another. They, on December 21st, they awarded a contract to a firm to rebuild their database in time for their spring primaries. And on December 24th, that firm was purchased by a Zuckerberg subsidiary. Oh, is that a problem? You think? <laughs> uh, the Zuckerbucks just filtered all through Pennsylvania and in multiple ways. And so, I mean, the reason why the whole election was totally hacked, it was a big part of that. So that was my first bitter lesson in politics that taught me that the legislatures don't want to fix the elections. And then I was in the lawsuits that were going from Montgomery County to the Supreme Court. I was in two of those four. And then when those were rejected in late February, I was very disappointed yet again, a second bitter lesson. That's why every day of my life I'm spending that time with the people. I give talks at night uh, with large crowds. Kurt, uh, Seth does this too, where we meet with large crowds. We're educating the public because we need the public because we're not going to get our legislators to listen unless the public is there. And then, and then during the days, I meet quietly, secretly with legislators, county commissioners, and election officials all over the country to help them also support the movement. The other thing I'd like to have you quickly do, and then we'll go to Seth Keschel. But, Dr. Frank, I've tried to summarize the algorithm discovery you made. And I want to ask if you can describe it in simple terms with sure. no words exceeding two syllables. <laughs> what is the... What is the... Well, <laughs> the I think discovered? I know which one you're talking about. There, you have to realize that the whole election is manipulated. Beforehand, the roles are inflated. During the election, the machines are reporting the status and ballots are being stuffed. And then after the election, you have to clean it all up. 
And all of that's controlled by computers. Because there isn't somebody sitting, some person in China sitting behind a computer saying, I'm going to vote for that person. I'm going to vote for that person. There's software that's controlling all that. But someone's writing the software. Someone's controlling Somebody's already written it. Met yeah. Any somebody. Yes, exactly. And so what? since I'm a programmer, I'm able to look at the result and recognize the algorithm and back calculate to what was actually going on. So there are multiple algorithms that I figured out. But I think the one you're talking about is the one that allows me to start from the U.S. Census, I yes. can I can just go to a state, any state, and I can go to the United States Census and download the census for that for every county in that state. I can study one of the counties, and then after that, I can predict exactly the number of 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, all the way up to 100 in every county in that state who voted. Because the same algorithm is used in every county, each state. In a state, and then it's a different set of parameters, same algorithm, but different set of parameters for another state. So that's why all I have to do is study one county. I know the parameters. Boom, I can predict all the other counties. And the odds of what you're describing occurring naturally are zero. Yes. Impossible. So this is to understand the depth of fraud, just that one point. If you and I, I tried summarizing it in my show before, remember I had to stop myself in the middle and say, wait, can you say that again? <laughs> but the gist of it is, if you can tell from one county yes. that the algorithm, that, that the numbers show a certain number of 18, 19, 20, et cetera, yes, yes. and those numbers are repeated, percentages, in every other county in the state. It's an entirely manipulated process, the entire election. And, and you know, when you think about it, like I, one of the first states I did was Ohio, and we have Amish, we have Mexican, we have Indian, we have immigrant, we have German, I mean, every community, every county is remarkably different. Why would they vote all exactly in a predictably same way? That's 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 very suspicious. Okay, we'll do more of this. Okay. Uh, Seth Keschel, I found something in your Telegram channel, and I got so intrigued by it, I finally printed out the whole thing, which is like 38 pages, uh, which isn't all we're going to do. I do want you to introduce more of why you got involved in assessing election fraud, trying to understand it. But this thing that you, uh, from Forsyth County... Georgia, that was put together by Draza Smith and Michael Quinn, I think it was. Bill Quinn. Okay, unbelievable. Just to just that one thing, we're going to hit that today. I've actually sent some of those slides to Mr. Becker, so because I think it's very revealing. But start if you would please. Just why did you get involved in looking at election fraud? What your background is? So we're continuing to have that report tailored. The Forsyth County report is really symbolic of what you see in the red or purple states. Is that the metro areas? are blown out to make sure that they're at maximum turnout. This is why Metro Atlanta, a number of those counties, had 46% more Democrat votes than Clinton had in 2016. And this was with record Trump vote gains in the Republican county. So you can see in Georgia, for example, Forsyth County, Cherokee County, and other counties all throughout the state, Trump has an enormous number of votes, way more than any Republican vote gain record in history. And even so, he wins the county by a smaller percentage, five, six, seven points. I believe in the case of Forsyth County, it was about 14 points less than he won the county by in 2016, even with a record number of votes. The arguments are made that people are moving in, just like here in Texas, we have Californians moving in. Here's a news flash: They've been moving in for a long time. <laughs> Maricopa County in Arizona grew by a smaller amount from 2010 to 2020 than it did in either of the previous three decades. So they are using population gain as a way to drive a narrative, just like you have in Battleground, Texas, that everything's going to flip. But my background is sort of like Dr. Frank's. Now, it's interesting that you voted in your first election when you were 40 in 1980. <laughs> right. but, I voted in that election, too, so be very careful there. Yeah. Okay. 
I was still waiting to be born. But <laughs> okay. So I was an Army intelligence officer. I was a captain, and I was trained to see the battlefield from a 30,000-foot point of view, so strategically, looking out over a large area and able to take a lot of information and boil it down and present actionable solutions. So in this movement, I'm somebody I consider myself an educator to be able to raise awareness at a high level, not necessarily always at the greatest detail. We have other people I can highlight during this this uh, conference here uh, in that regard. But I'm an educator. I'm able to go into any county and show at the precinct level where the greatest disparities in statistics are. Yep. Because the statistics often point us in the right direction. And people ask us a lot of times if we conflict each other. We don't. I can paint the picture from a high level of view and Dr. Frank will boil down into the methodologies. I called all 50 states accurately in 2016 with my methodology, which is very primitive. I want you to, I want to stop you right there. That is one point about you. Every time people say, well, who is that guy? I'll tell you one thing about him. That's an amazing thing. If you all recall, everyone, everyone thought that Hillary Clinton was going to trounce Donald Trump. And what he came up with prior to and never deviated from it was because of your use of assessing statistical patterns and voter registration patterns, essentially, right? Voter registration. He was able to say, oh, no, Trump's going to win this. And, 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 and. Did you say every state you predicted? How I did, and the media is the reason I predicted the Donald Trump victory. A couple of reasons. Number one, Hillary Clinton being elected in 2016 would have been only the second time since World War II that a party won three consecutive terms in the White House. The only time that's happened since World War II is the Republicans three times in a row in the 80s. So you had two terms of Obama, which brings about the pendulum shift towards the next party. Yep. So there's going to be a headwind against the incumbent party, the Democrats. Trump, of course, had his own issues. Like here in Texas, there was a Ted Cruz grudge in 2016. So we had a lot of third-party conservative sit-outs over in Collin County, Denton County, and so forth. But in 2016, at about September, this is in the middle of the 12 to 15-point Clinton win toll polls that were coming out. In Ohio, it was said by the mainstream media about September that Trump was going to carry Ohio and by about four points. And if you know anything about electoral history, you don't just carry Ohio and get blown out at all. You can't carry Ohio and get blown out. It's a bellwether. If you're a Republican? If you're anybody. Ohio is a bellwether. Whoever it aligns with has won the election every time since 1896, all but twice. So it's not causation, it's correlation. And it means that that candidate has the support of the working class, which is the largest segment of our electorate. So when the media tells me in September that Trump's going to carry Ohio by four points, my brain immediately says positive poll for the Republican equals double that number. So Trump's going to carry the state by seven, eight, nine points, and it wound up being by eight plus. And I went and did the numbers on Pennsylvania and Michigan. Anytime Ohio is eight points Republican, Pennsylvania and Michigan are going Republican as well. The registration values in various states showed massive movement towards the Republican Party. And that's also one of the key indicators of 2020 being ripped off is all of the key states, almost every one of them, had massive movement towards the Republican Party in voter registration. Mm -hmm. We, of course, don't register voters by party in Texas, which is a serious issue with open primaries. But all the registration numbers of 2016 suggested Trump would pick off Florida, Pennsylvania, Michigan, because it trends just like Pennsylvania. North Carolina would be bigger. And he wound up holding all the red states that Romney had, and he added others. The registration values showed a lot of the issues by county and at state levels in 2020. And when I was watching the election of 2020, the selection, we should say, I was watching Florida. Florida, Pennsylvania, and Michigan have a tight correlation in which Pennsylvania and Michigan move in the same direction as Florida every election since 1988. Now, what I'm that sorry, means... You're retaining all this in your head. I, I'm, I'm giving up taking notes. I mean... <laughs> Well, so I've, I've, spo ahead. I've spoken about this 
countless times. Yes. So it's stuck in my head. <clears throat> but Pennsylvania and Michigan move in the same direction presidentially as Florida in every election since 1932. Meaning if Florida is more Republican than it was the previous year, or the previous election, then Pennsylvania and Michigan will also be more Republican because there's a correlation in the non-college white vote. Mm -hmm. If Florida becomes more Democrat, you can count on Pennsylvania and Michigan also trending Democrat. So my calculus on the election was if Trump blows out Florida, which he did, even with a lot of fraud, Trump moved Florida almost three points more Republican, then I'm like, hey, this election's on ice in Pennsylvania and Michigan because of the numbers in those states were blowouts. Yes. Trump was ahead 800,000 votes in PA and they made it up over three days. They couldn't even make up 44,000 votes in 2016. So that was my first indicator that something was off. And then of course, Arizona being prematurely called by Fox because it immediately became a must win. Fox News was part of this and they need to be held accountable for that. Couldn't agree more. You know what, I actually, there's so many directions to go and I did bring with me, this is, I don't usually print things out in color, but this is kind of how America went. And I want to hit a bunch of points about this, just a map from it. But let me start with one point I think it, people need to try to understand to fix this is that much of what occurs has to be changed out at the county level. And the fraud occurs, not just a very last minute, oh, I can jump in and shift these votes. But what you uncovered, and I believe you've probably also seen Drowsa Smith's data from uh, Forsyth County, it's so revealing about how the fraud occurs and how um, hidden it is and yet just insidious. And so I, uh, I'm, I guess I do kind of want to jump in and talk about Forsyth County because I thought it was a good summary. And um, I, I have the entire printout here, but I, I will just say this. What happened was these two election uh, people trying to solve these issues looked at Forsyth County, which happens to be a big county in Georgia. And the reason I'm doing this is it doesn't matter if we all memorize the data arising out of Forsyth County. It matters that you see the method, the insidiousness, and when you watch the way they play with numbers, and, and you made, and they made so many great points in here, and I want to have you both comment on them. Uh, one was, and I don't even know what the first thing, I, oh yeah, okay, so Mr. Becker, do you have the first slide? Okay, so this is this county, um, and you, Seth Cashel, had placed Forsyth high on the list of potentially fraudulent counties nationwide and highlighted the majority of precincts in the county as high likelihood of fraud based on divergence from voting trends. So this is your thing, divergence from voting trends. Okay, and I mean, I, I don't know why this just captivated me, and I'm, as you both know, we've had this discussion. I'm not a numbers person. In fact, I brought my calculator in my, in my, my little briefcase over there because I thought you might try to trick me. No, because I might have to <laughs> check on things. But anyway, you made this point. So the, the next slide, if you would, Mr. Becker. As, uh, yeah, okay, this is talking about how looking at this system, CRV system, cast vote record, and this is something that Dominion says in its um, manual that it describes the use of it. Correct? Yes. Correct. Yes, okay. that's correct. So now, here's the next slide, if you would, Mr. Becker. This is how it looked uh, on Forsyth County. And looks like, you know, Trump's up. That's pretty good. In fact, I think the next slide shows he's up at this point, 72.55% to Biden, 27.45. So this is, and actually, can you tell from what you're looking at? Is this, this is late in the day. This is a Republican blowout number. So Forsyth County, the, the method in Georgia for Republicans to win the state is very similar to Texas. The suburban counties drown out, Dallas, Harris, Travis Bear counties, and then the rural counties add on to that. So the way that you would win Georgia as a Democrat is to make sure that the Republicans don't run away with the suburban counties like Forsyth. 
and then you trim the rural counties and blow out the metro. So this is a bigger margin than Trump won in 2016 when he had a lot of third-party conservatives that sat out. And then what happens from here, I think you're going to go through it, but the last 30,000 votes went went a few percent in favor of Biden after a number like this the entire okay. time. Okay, so yeah, go to the next slide, Mr. Becker. So then, it look, so Trump's a blowout. You can see it's a blowout. You can, and the audience, yeah, you can see either way, over here if it, to your right if it's easier. So the, what is listing here of the last 30,000, almost 31,000 ballots, Trump gets 14.5 and Biden gets 15.6. So Trump's percentage is going down. So how is it, where did these votes come from that all of a sudden Trump, way up, I mean, 72 to 27 is a blowout in anybody's book. So where are these votes coming from? They'll tell you that we counted the absentees later and they're gonna skew differently. Dr. Frank probably has some different mileage on this than me, but what you see there is a reduction in margin on both ends. So there's a higher percentage for one candidate and lower for another, and it squeezes the amount of votes. So a lot of people say, well, why do we need to audit Texas? Trump won the state. But the quantitative answer is by how much. That's what people should be looking for. A five and a half point win in Texas, which is another trend towards Democrats. This state will be flipping in 2028 if this method is not, if this method of committing fraud is not rectified. So if, if you put, if you look at that last slide again, what you, what's important to notice about that is that it, the lines are wiggly until the end. Then it's a perfect slope. Such a good point. Okay, and so what that tells you is that it's not real. And I studied that this is from the Edison data. These are, it's called the Edison series. It's what's reported to the media and how they report it to the public. I spent several months working on that in the early days. Okay. And, and it's what Draza writes about. And, and it's basically, the bottom line is it's a synthesis. It's not real. It's all artificial. And so what they do is they create a story and Draza accurately describes this, where she says once Florida was won and they couldn't stop it, they had to create a narrative to get other people to vote differently in other states. They create a narrative with the way they report the data. They aren't even the real numbers. Okay, that I want to get you. In fact, I don't think I sent that slide to him, but people could see at this point that Florida was going for Trump. And so these, you're saying with well, the way this is heading is they're trying to say, well, wow, look at all the mail-in ballots. It turned out they were heavily for Biden. Is that accurate? Th that's what the media would tell you. Yeah. Like, well, I'm not saying it's real, but that's the yeah. way they explained it. Right. And, and I wouldn't doubt it because the, the Democrats are more afraid of COVID than the Republicans. So they mailed them in more. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the next is one more, Mr. Becker, one more that kind of talked about the, where these numbers came from. Okay, because this is a really good point to try to drive this home why the county level matters so much. Say, well, what difference does it make? No big deal. Uh, there's actually a, a, yeah, I'll do this one. Then we have to go, actually, no, Mr. Becker, go back. There's one before that that was comparing absentee by mail. It's, it's a bunch of numbers. It looks like a boring slide. There you go. Okay, compare absentee by mail to advanced voting and election day voting. Just look at this county. I don't know if you all can see, and our, my listeners online, look at these numbers. You have Trump, the, the top line's absentee by mail, and you got Biden winning 51 to 48. Advanced voting, which means early voting, Trump's winning 72 to 27. Election day, Trump's winning 74 to 25. But the absentees come in, and lo and behold, they, they, they bring Biden that's around. where most of the fraud is across the country. Most of the fraud is in mail-in ballots. Yes. Okay, now go to the next slide and make this. This is the reason I thought this point was so, so interesting to think about. They did not manage in all of this playing with the ballots in Georgia 
they didn't manage to make Georgia go Republican. Oh, yes, they did. I mean, they made them, they end up going Democrat. But the Trump still wins in this county, so it doesn't look like it's totally crazy. But the change in patterns and this math, which is why I have my calculator here, this point in this, this slide is if you pull people out in county after county, it's little numbers. But he says, well, so that the numbers seem to be pushed around by 7,200 votes, I think it is. And then you multiply by 159 counties. I mean, you, t you shave a little bit off in each county, which gets me around to saying to fix all of this, you have to get or to prove the fraud, I guess, to start with and then fix it. You've got to be diving at the county level. Is that right? That's correct. And, and what you need to understand is the, the way that they're stealing the elections is by stuffing ballots. That's how they're stealing. In Forsyth County, there aren't enough bodies to stuff enough ballots. People think that the machines are flipping votes. They're not. That's a really dumb way to cheat. If you flip the vote, all you have to do afterwards is recount, and it exposes that it's wrong. That's what happened in Antrim, Michigan, for example. And that's what Dr. Shiva exposed. It's easy to catch that kind of fraud. The, the machines do flip, but when they do, there's a ballot that comes in to cover that so that the recount matches. So do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The so, ballot comes in, mail-in ballot. Oh, yeah, exactly. And you can stuff, I mean, like in the last 10 minutes in Pennsylvania, there was something like 350,000 ballots suddenly appeared, and it makes it all work. So, so in other words, there aren't enough bodies in Forsyth County to stuff enough ballots to make Trump lose there. Does that, you, you, it would be so ridiculous. Yeah. That you, there aren't enough, you'd have to have stuff more ballots than you have people, and so you have a problem, which is what happened in Pennsylvania, by the way. They, they, have, they still have more ballots there than they have people. In, in Pennsylvania. In yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. So yeah, your point earlier, and actually both of you are talking to crowds of people. I mean, yeah. when you talk to crowds, yeah. they're friendly people. They're on the conservative side. They know fraud happened. They want to do something about it. Yeah. But are you finding as you're presenting all this evidence, I guess I'll start with Seth. I don't know, Seth, and you're working around the country. Are you talking with election officials? And, and, and do, you get, do any of them kind of fess up or acknowledge, yeah, we got a big problem? Or are you running into a brick wall where they just say we don't have a problem? meet a mix of people. You meet the rhino types out there who won't even look at the issue because I think they're afraid what they'll find. Now, I'm not saying every election official is complicit in this. I think it may have happened to Fair some enough. people and they don't want to be pinned with any sort of blame. Then you have some fire breathers who are absolutely, you find them all over Oklahoma, absolutely of the belief that there were issues with the elections. But as is the way with the political class, they'll take these fire breathers and they'll stuff them in committees that are worthless and they'll eventually quit their political careers and make sure they never rise to prominence, which is why good people don't run for the office. But I also try to expose other audiences to these views. I gave an interview to a Vice News group out in San Diego about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. That's going to reach the center left or even the Bernie Sanders left. The Bernie Sanders folks believe 100% that their primaries are rigged because Hillary Clinton never should have been nominated in 2016. And they, of course, rigged their 2020 primaries by having everyone drop out to give Biden a head-to-head -head race against Bernie Sanders. And I even went to a 100% Biden precinct in Philadelphia last week, and it was not just a couple votes. It was 100%, like hundreds of votes all went to Joe Biden. And I sat there with my numbers on Pennsylvania on a bench, and I opened up my laptop and in just anything that I want to talk about, I spoke about, and nobody rebutted any of the points I had in a 100% Biden precinct. This went on for about 20 minutes. Nobody, nobody had anything to say about my numbers, and then finally I got tired and I left that cemetery. Okay. okay. Um, 
Okay. Um, I've well, heard that one, so I knew it was coming. Oh, you did? Okay. Well. <laughs> I've changed my jokes up a little bit. so I, I, quit I, I like jokes. I quit I, telling the kitten joke. <laughs> I, 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 Let me talk about, about, you asked the question about who we talked to, right? Yeah. A week ago, I was in private session with Speaker Voss from mm -hmm. Wisconsin. Yes. Okay. And that's the kind of thing. But that's that's not one meeting. That's a culmination of many months of meetings. But after that meeting, he came out and told the world he agrees. Widespread fraud in Wisconsin. What happens in those meetings that makes that happen? Because I think that's what your, the point of your question was. Do these people are these people receptive to us? What I'm finding is is that people in his position don't understand their own elections. So tell me again, Voss is Speaker of the House. Speaker of the House, Wisconsin of Wisconsin. Yeah. And you know, it was when I showed up for this secret meeting, which there were ten television stations there with cameras. <laughs> okay, uh, outside waiting. It was kind of weird with all the, the cameras flashing and everything. But we went into this private meeting. He asked me all the most basic questions that you would think people of his stature would know. But if you think about it, he's not an election expert. He's a legislator. So we are educating them. And I, for 45 minutes, I basically taught him how his election worked and how the fraud happened and showed him the fraud in his own state. After the meeting, he walks out and stands in front of the camera and tells the whole world widespread fraud in Wisconsin. So that's so there. They are people who do listen that are open minded that when you show them the evidence, they, they do uh, at the local. I'm sorry. Your, I got to jump question. in. For our radio listeners, I want to tell you that you're going off to a three-minute break at the bottom of the hour. This is Debbie Georgiatis. It's America Can We Talk. You can find this show online, americacanwetalk.org. In fact, if you go there right now, you can keep watching the show during your three-minute commercial. But do not go away. Come back after your break to America Can We Talk for another solid half an hour. And thank you so much for listening to America Can We Talk. So they're off on their break. Okay, so back to – I'm sorry. I no tried worries. to get that plug in. It was I get it. perfect I get it. timing with the with – yeah. Uh, so – it's interesting what you're talking about, because in Wisconsin, I talk about this in my show, how yeah. they had this former Supreme Court Justice, Gableman, yeah. who I know. I researched yeah. and said it's overwhelming that there was election fraud. Absolutely. And yet, and, and so you spoke to the Speaker of the House, he sees it. Yes. So what progress are we going to make in Wisconsin in terms of correcting the problem? Well, you, as a legislator, how can you stand in front of his people and say, Oh, we have widespread fraud in Wisconsin. Too bad. I guess we're just going to keep going the way we're going. Obviously, he can't. One of the things he said also that in that same TV interview afterwards is they've passed 17 bills to try to address it. The point that we were making to him in, in our private meeting is that those bills will not fix the problem. We're showing him for the first time he didn't even understand a lot of the ways the fraud was happening in his state. Well, both of you have been talking to legislatures, and I do want to hit this point on how you fix it, because we could spend days on end talking yeah. about the, the proof of fraud, the right. states that have had overwhelming, it's just irrefutable mountains, evidence. Mountains of, of evidence. Mountains of evidence. And yet, so people say, well, how do we move forward? So to start with, in Wisconsin, I know that Gableman suggested, uh, Justice Gableman suggested to the legislature, you need to decertify the election. Did you talk to people there? And, and yeah, we did. Uh, the first half, it was an hour and a half meeting with him. And the first half was me basically t teaching him his own data that's from the state so that he would understand. And, and, and he had a lot of honest, good questions. He's not a dumb guy. He just had good questions. And we, we went over it so that he was convinced there was fraud. And then the second half, the second 45 minutes, we had John Eastman, one of the leading constitutional scholars in the country, right. teaching him about the fact that the Constitution explicitly lays out that the legislature of each state has plenary authority 
to to decide how the electors are determined. And one of the things that he, uh, Voss was saying is, well, what can I do about it? He says, I know that if we try to um, decertify the election, that the governor will veto it and the secretary of state will veto it. No, the, the Constitution is explicit. The legislature has plenary authority to decide how the, what happens with that. The governor can't veto. The governor has nothing to right. do with it. It's all the legislature. So we were basically the legal scholars. First, I was teaching them the data, and then the legal scholars were teaching them the law about election law. So that, that's, what the, that's where we're at. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. It would be unprecedented, of course, in American history, as yeah. far as I'm aware, for NECA to decertify after the president's been inaugurated and is yeah. serving. But I tell you, if you don't do that, and I do want, Seth, I want to turn to you and ask you, so you're out speaking all the time. Are you trying to convince people that we've got to just fix things going forward? Are you still trying to push the idea we've got to at least correct what people, you're, you're in to fix the 2020 election, right? I'm going to give you the military terminology. Okay. It's a two-front war. In 2020, we have to go back and deal with 2020. We have to get the truth out. We have to prove it up. We have to do canvassing and audits, remediation of any type where possible, like the ones Dr. Frank's talking about in Wisconsin, which I also contributed work to as well. Yes. But in 2020, that is the new precedent for all of our elections going forward. So there are 81 million votes and 74 million votes for the two parties on the board. And the trend lines for the party that got 81 million votes were going down from 69 million for the two subsequent elections. And with a gain that is a record number for a modern record for the Republican Party, Donald Trump here, the Democrat column exploded by 16 million votes at the same time. So both candidates set new records for popular votes in the same election. That is the precedent going forward. And all of the processes and all the shortcuts that were taken that were used to get to 81 million votes are going to remain in effect, if not rescinded. Now, as far as what can be done for 2020, absolutely, we can see county level decertifications. There's an audit going on right now in Otero County in New Mexico. There are big pushes for decertification in Wisconsin, and I believe Pennsylvania will be there. Arizona is stuck in a huge mess, but there are some legislators there that are absolutely supportive of decertifying that. But moving forward, of course, we already have elections going on. We had the primaries here in Texas recently, and we have midterms coming up. So you have to put the plans in place to clean up elections. So I have now 10 steps to clean up the election mess that I've been writing about online. And they are absolutely bulletproof, and they will reduce fraud to basically individual cases. And it all starts with the voter rolls. Dr. Frank's very adamant about that. The foundation of election fraud is with a dirty voter roll, and everything grows off of that by whatever processes are put in place. Okay, I do want to talk about what happened in Texas. In fact, maybe now is a good time to do it in Texas primaries. And then I'd like your 10 points. <clears throat> I think you're only up to number seven that you put out, right? Right. But I've got all 10 of them stuck up. In okay, it. right there. Okay, good. We'll, we'll hit them there because I do think it matters. People want solutions. They don't want us to hear griping and, and, and hand-wringing, what the solutions are. But in, solutions. It, yeah, in the Texas primaries, I want to hit this. So, I mean, I don't know if you have a sense of what occurred, but do you think the most recent Texas primaries, uh, I, I mean, I'll just float one number. I was really astonished to see the governor allegedly got whatever it was, 68 or 70 percent of the primary vote. Is that, do you have any reason to doubt that number? So cognitive dissonance is something that works in two ways. I remember when I was an Army officer in 2012, everyone I knew because I worked with like-minded people absolutely knew that Obama would never be reelected. Well, there's a whole big country out there. And now looking back with more political science, it's pretty obvious that 
Mitt Romney was a squish that couldn't work with any of the working class populations. So Governor Abbott is certainly going to be very popular in parts of Texas. Most of Texas is suburban, moderate brand of Republican. They want better tax policies. They want better energy policy. You know, they want to keep more of their money, but not necessarily into the populism as in regard to borders or building walls. It's a bit of a variance here in Texas. But in Collin County, I found it interesting. Governor Abbott got 66% of the vote statewide in Texas, but only 59% in Collin County. Collin County is a very good pulse indicator of Republican strength in Texas. So usually when you have a blowout for the GOP in a statewide election, Collin County is big time Republican, 65% or more. They're less amenable to populist candidates, but you can see all throughout the rural parts of the state or in the eastern parts of the state or in the Panhandle, Abbott's well over 75, 80% in most counties, with the exception of a few, like in Ocaltree County, where is at 47%, or in Upton County, where is at 54, and Chad Prather's at 25, which Prather only got 3% statewide. So some of the numbers don't seem to add up. Now, that's not outright proof of anything, but in State Senate District 11, Bianca Gracia's race, she was leading when the vote totals were being reported on election night against Mays Middleton. And then, of course, you had a big surge. It was a 34 to 4,000 run for Middleton over Gracia, and she eventually wound up losing votes off of the reported tallies and finishing in last place. There are some discrepancies over the reporting mechanisms. They're not official statewide totals, but a number of the reporting sites were putting out numbers that were awfully confusing. So it makes sense to believe that the voters in Texas would be confused based on the reporting mechanisms here. And then, of course, we have reports that come out of places like Tarrant County. There's an organization here called Taking Back Texas, takingbacktexas.org, and they do great ground-level work. So I'm a, I'm a what and where kind of person. I see discrepancies in over a place. They can drill down and understand the methodology of why there's issues. And in Tarrant County in particular, they've done away with serial, serial numbering of the ballots. So our elections, because of what's going on with our machines, are basically not auditable. We cannot match a ballot to an individual voter and show you your ballot and say, hey, Debbie, is this your ballot? Did you vote that? So the, the potential for inserting fraudulent ballots in the stack, in the count, in all the precincts, because the law states there need to be serial number ballots by precinct. And that's being clearly sidestepped and violated by our largest counties. And of course, most of the vote, 88% of our vote is urban and suburban. So we're on a sinking ship in Texas in regard to elections. And you can see a lot of that work and more. Takingbacktexas.org is a great resource. Also, we need tons of poll watchers. We need people to volunteer in this state and get involved. Okay, I'm going to run through a bunch of things. that There are too many topics. And um, I want to make sure, just briefly make mention of, I think I talked about in the show yesterday, but um, there is a very large report dropped by Mike Lindell. I'm switching away from Texas, but dropped by Mike Lindell. That has the Mesa to do, 3 report. Yeah, Mesa, uh, Colorado. And it is a massive uh, data dump. And then there was actually Emerald Robinson did a pretty good summary of it, which yeah. you may have seen. Mm-hmm. And the, the gist of what they're saying is it appears there's evidence of data uh, of a second voter database being added back into yeah. secretly, surreptitiously added back into the voting machines. Yes. Are we, any of you involved in that study? I was, yes. And and th- that's that's because it's directly related to the algorithms that I use. It's exactly how they're doing it. And so you were talking about remedies going forward. How do we fix it going forward? For example, in Wisconsin, they say any county that has less than 7,500 uh, 7, people can not use any machines if they don't want to. That would get around the problem because the Mesa County report shows that it's the machine manipulating the rolls. 
It's exactly what we're talking about. It's mind-blowing. Describe what they, I mean, because I may have described it correctly. What did they say have occurred? A database was added to the voting machines well, after? So it's like everybody thinks that there's this database with this roles that there's people are being recorded. Well, there is. But there's also a shadow one in the background being manipulated because they're trying to get an outcome they want. And then they're manipulating this one. And then every once in a while they go, swap. Because you don't have continuous access in a lot of these machines. So the one that you're operating on, but the one that you're really manipulating are two separate ones and they can swap them in. And they're, so they're doing all their manipulation. Algorithms are running over here, not on the actual database. And then it swaps it out. Now this is the new actual database. That's and this is works. occurring manually by some person. No, no, it's all software. It's all software, so yes. programmed by somebody. I mean, I the machine didn't decide. It's an algorithm, exactly. So, and that's and that's why it's so. Imp you know, you talk about going forward. That's why Mike's so adamant. Uh, Mike Lindell is so adamant about getting rid of the machines. The machines enable the manipulation of the roles, having a centralized roles, especially like this Eric system, having central access of a state to all of the roles just makes you completely hackable as a state. And so you have to get rid of the centralized roles, you have to get rid of the machines, and it's already, it's not as, um, a, a, not a pipe dream. It, like I just mentioned in, in, in Wisconsin, 7,500 population or less, they don't have to use machines if they don't want. I just came back from uh, South Dakota, they have it as law expressly. I just posted it yesterday on my site. It says right in the law, if they want to experiment with not using machines, they're welcome to do it by county. So they can get out. That's of a start right? versus saying yes. you may not use machines. Right. I'm going to quickly ask you about some states and then I want to hit how to fix. But some of these states, I noticed in your Telegram account, Dr. Frank, you had people uh, a little bit upset with you uh, in Kentucky and Kansas, two places where you've yeah. obviously been doing something, and I've the officials states, are, are complaining. Oh, don't listen to these people. Yes. And so, I mean, in those two states, um, I'm not sure what you're. What? Why, why are you working there since they went red anyway? Everybody thinks that's a great question. Everybody thinks it's about the top of the ticket. That's the wrong way to think. It's about the way you win a country is not from the top down. It's from the bottom up. All those sheriff's elections, all those school board elections, all those commissioner things, that's how you change a, a, a state. So in a, in a state that's super red, I mean, I remember calling uh, Sharona Bishop. She's in Mesa County. You see her a lot. Calling her soon after the election. I was looking for a conservative county to model. And she said, Dr. Frank, we're 70-30 conservative. She's crying. Dr. Frank, get out there and help us. We just elected four of the most liberal commissioners ever, and they want to change our schools. And, our, and it's like, how did this happen to them, right? It's the down-ballot manipulation that's that's the significant. Um, that so that's why you're there. And you've... You, um Worked some of these officials have been a little bit of a dander toward you. I mean, they're, oh, they're, yeah, they're very unhappy. <laughs> I'm this the following people sign on you. We absolutely right. did nothing wrong and they don't, they don't know what they're talking about. So this is good. Kansas, I mean, Kansas was a brilliant. I, I was invited to speak. It was just me for an hour and a half to their election commission. And they were not happy that I was there. So it was, you know, they were not happy that I was showing them what was wrong in their state. After my 35 minute presentation, they started asking me questions and they weren't friendly questions. But then one of the legislatures, legislators, her name is uh, Tatum Lee. She held up these two reports and she said, by the way, you guys, just this morning, I received these reports. This one's from 2018. This one's from 2020, put together by our own research department from our own state house of representatives, where they describe what's wrong with our system and how we're vulnerable. And I just heard Dr. Frank go point by point through these reports. So wow. that was a slam dunk because yeah. I didn't even know about those reports, but everything I showed them is exactly what's in those reports. So boy, were they unhappy with me.
Well, I love this idea. I tell you, I do think that, you know, leaving aside people who enjoy manipulating, who are willing to use their power to manipulate to win, the vast majority of Americans, both sides of the aisle, the, the citizens, they just want honesty. That's what they want. They want transparent, honest, and, and we'll deal with it. Whatever the answer is, if the, if the country's going socialist, I, I'll, I'll take that fight. Free and fair. Yeah, okay. So now, now Seth, you've been uh, working just tirelessly. Your schedule, I can just follow from looking at Telegram. You are, and I know you both are traveling so much, and you've come up with a list of, of ways that we can fix this. You mentioned that, that we've been talking about the paper ballot thing. To me, that is the, it's the basic, if you have paper ballots and you simply can't hack into a computer to change anything, so is that your number one? Or what's your one? Start with your most important thing you think we have to do, fix all this. There's 10 points to cure this condition. Am I allowed to say the name of that condition on your show? It's called electile dysfunction. All right. Yes. So I wasn't going to say that, but it's okay. <laughs> I was going to say it anyway. All right, the first, the first point, it's a 10-point solution. The first one that has to be done is to clean out the voter rolls, every single county. Some of the smaller counties would be wise to just dump the entire voter roll and have everyone re-register. People that want to complain about that, well, I bet they pay their taxes every year. I bet they go renew their vehicle registration too. So this is something we have to do to ensure the quality of our elections. The second point is to ban all electronic elections equipment. We have two counties that I know of nationally that have moved with the commissions to do that. That'd be Nye County in Nevada and Rio Blanco in Colorado. I know okay. more. Let me jump in. When you say electronic, I mean, it's one thing. What, what kind of machinery is involved? Machinery in the various. You have the voting machines, the ballot marking devices, the tabulators that count the votes. Any, any that I'm missing? Oh, p electronic poll books that can be used to ch yes. check people in to yes. turn out. All that has to go. The electronic poll book the tabulating machines and the voting machines themselves. The scanners, yeah. So, so you're talking hand counting then? 100%. A a amen. I mean, you're, you're singing it to me. Yeah. All but of Europe all, does it in a day. Why can't we? But all of the, all of the points of the 10, smarter than they are. all of the points support each other. So when, when you have a question about one, there's one to address it. So number three is, is a number three is a slam dunk, and that is voter ID with paper ballots only. So, uh -oh. I mean, come on, you got to have an ID to go on an airplane, buy a gun, buy alcohol if you look young, to get pulled over by the police, you have an ID. And honestly, the point about it being racist to expect minority communities to come up with an ID, I can't think of anything more racist than assuming that but they to could say not. That. Yeah, right. to say it. Absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Number four is to ban mail in voting. And that comes with an asterisk. The asterisk is for military overseas Amen, or legitimately disabled with a notary. I want to jump in and ask you about that. So on the mail-in ballot thing, it's become a, people think it was a sign of progress. Yeah, we're, no. we're more convenient, you know, no. we, if we want to take a vacation at that time, we can just mail it in from Hawaii, whatever. No. You would eliminate, you get it down to military serving abroad and truly disabled, unable to get up. Correct. Now, mail-in balloting was banned in France in 1975 because there was tons of fraud on Corsica of people voting multiple times, dead people voting. Dead people really get excited about elections, you know. Mail-in balloting, it's, we cannot sacrifice our most sacred process in this country for electing leaders to convenience. We go out, we get our hair done, we go to the gym, we take the kids to softball practice, baseball practice. You go to the ball game. you tell me you can't vote, turn out to vote once every two or four years. And of course, there's follow on points to address. Well, the lines are too long. Number five is to ban early voting. So this is where people really complain about the lines are going to be too long on Election Day. 
excuse me, entirely ban early voting? With another asterisk. Okay. That would be for people that legitimately can't turn out for professional reasons on election day, which is why early voting was introduced. Texas is actually the pioneer state for early voting. Back as far as 1917, we had laws governing early voting here, and now we had three weeks of early voting to where 90 plus percent of the vote was already in by election day. To me, it's election day, not election weeks or election month. Election day. But what has happened with early voting, it's allowed people to organize ways to defraud the election, exactly. like drive through voting lanes in Houston or in the Rio Grande Valley where you can come through with an ID because it's or 15 of them because it's too dangerous to vote because of COVID. So here's drive through voting lanes. And I also think that people can peek in on what the tallies really are, what oh, the score. So last I think it's possible for people to peek in on what the tallies are. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or what the score right. is before Election Day. Has to be completely dark until the polls close. Nobody should know anybody who has voted or what any of the tallies are before the polls close. That's one thing I was going to say. If Because everything that seems to have occurred in 2020 is in part because someone could see how the early exactly. voting was trending. Exactly. And, and if no one can see, or the very little early voting, not enough to give you a, a statistical sample, that, that's... And anything electronic is hackable. So if you do anything on... Ele- this is another thing that people think about with the mail-ins. People don't understand that the USPS scans every piece of mail. And they take pride in keeping track of every ballot. And that's a subscription service. And Zuckerberg owns a national subscription. So he knows every ballot that's been mailed and every ballot that's been returned. Well, I know you didn't vote for Hillary. Okay, so if you returned a ballot, I can pretty much guess the way that's going. So ahead of time, even before Election Day, let's say you allowed mail-in voting, and even if you had good controls on it, you would know before the day started where you stood to a very close yeah. accuracy. So you can't have mail-in voting. You're giving away the election before it starts. Yeah, we, we are all on the same page. I, I would just like such stringent measures. I'm sorry, we, you're going through a list and we're yeah, getting right, sidetracked right. about it. No, 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 so I number want six. everyone to participate. Go ahead. Number six requires introducing drastically smaller voting precincts. In Harris County, which is Houston, of course, they have counties as large as 7,700 votes cast in the presidential wow, election. That's a lot. Liz Harris from Arizona recommended in her canvas report that we have precincts of 1,000 registered voters or smaller. Right. It's impossible to keep tabs on voters, voter rolls when you have, if that precinct had 7,700 votes cast, they probably have 10,000 registered voters in the precinct. And then to be able to go canvas your precinct or deal with any sort of issues before reporting requirements is impossible with precincts that large. Smaller precincts, of course, will require more local leadership of the precincts and administration, but people will be able to turn out and vote on election day easier. And that will be the the workaround for getting past early voting and getting past so much mail-in voting because smaller precincts, people can just turn out on election day. Number seven, moving forward, I wrote about this one today and that's to ban ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting is not legal in Texas or in Georgia. Of course, people do it anyway. That's the process of going to gather and collect ballots from church shut-ins, nursing homes, or schools or or anywhere else where you can find ballots that have been mailed out to a fraudulent voter roll. But harvesting would be greatly reduced if fewer and fewer people are permitted to vote by mail. Right. Yeah, there would be fewer to harvest. I mean, I guess the senior citizen centers are the most likely to be the rest home. subject to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, care, yeah. the sheriff of Racine County, Wisconsin, pressed charges uh, or recommended charges for election fraud in yeah. nursing homes in Racine County. Yep. Ballot harvesting, of course, is the way to maximize turnout for the mail-in elections. Mm -hmm. Number eight is to introduce the concept of Election Day as a state or national holiday. I agree with that. 
This is something a lot of hardcore conservatives don't like because it sounds like government waste, another holiday. But if the complaint is that we're going to miss Election Day because we have to work, well, there's no more excuse for that. And it provides a way to justify leaving some of the corrupt measures of voting behind. It also gives you volunteers on that day. It also gives you people That's, who can yeah, count on that day. Good. It allows you to have a thousand people per precinct and everybody can do it and we can have the result that night. This puts the chips to the center of the table, much like the immigration issues yeah. where Trump is like, hey, I see how many people you want to give a pathway to citizenship. Here's 10 times more. And then they walk away. You see, they're not truly sincere. Right. And then number nine is to introduce new reporting requirements for elections. And this will be we need a total count of how many ballots are going to be recorded at a certain time on Election Day. So you don't have this nonsense where certain counties are going to count votes for three or four days. Right. It took four days to pull away Pennsylvania. It took as long to pull away Georgia in the 2020 election. California counts votes for for weeks. It's unbelievable. And then the final point, number 10, is significant prison time for people caught rigging Sing elections. it to me. I'm telling you, if we, if people were so afraid of committing fraud, the, I mean, if they, because right now, just, just having worked as a poll watcher and an election judge, I can tell you, they're not afraid. They don't, I mean, the, the idea that a little bit of fraud, well, nothing's going to happen. No. And if it doesn't. Even massive fraud. When I was working with the legislature in Pennsylvania in December of 2020, I uncovered in because I was, they gave me access to all their data from the past. So I was looking at the 2012 election, and I found 10,000 votes ballots harvested from a rest home community. Okay, For, throughout there were several rest homes in that area. I showed them to the legislature, and they said, "Yeah, we know about that. Here's the lawsuit." They showed the lawsuit. The guy didn't get punished at all. Slap on the wrist. Don't do that again. 10,000 ballots are inserted into and there's like he's just out and so guess what once I understood the algorithm for that I looked in 2016 there it was again only in this time it was 30,000 if there's no prosecution there'll yeah. be no stopping living in jail time is right I want to ask you I know I was promised the extremely wonderful people who are here in the audience that we're going to pass the microphone around I do want to um, so I have this happy map here and I know you all have been diving in looking at data and I also have the numbers and I told you I have my calculator, but um, I have the numbers of, of electoral votes that they went to each pe person. So I assume you are agreeing, or I, let me just ask, Georgia really was a Republican Absolutely. Was a Trump victory? Okay. Six plus, six plus points. Okay. And uh, Pennsylvania? Absolutely. Six Trump to eight victory. points. Six to eight um, points. I was going to throw in New York just to be funny, because um, I grew up in New York. I don't think that was a Trump victory. Okay. What about um, in Wisconsin? By Absolutely. a landslide. Trump by a landslide in Wisconsin. Look, the margin was only 20,000. And in our work, we exposed 120,000 stuffed ballots just in Milwaukee alone. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, Arizona. Yes. Oh, of course. Okay. I'm just making sure because even this little happy map here, yeah. I mean, easily guess Trump over the Electoral College victory, um, Electoral College number. He's yeah. above 270. He's in. So do you think... You want the rest of this? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Minnesota. 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 Oh, I, I know. I love Minnesota. New Hampshire. Yeah. New Hampshire. Yeah. Nebraska's second congressional district electoral vote there. Yes. Sharpie. Then some true dark horses. Well, so Nevada is also a slam dunk. Yes. But some true dark horses are, and I believe that looking at the trends in the coalition shift, a coalition shift is where we all vote for this party. Now we're crossing over in mass to vote for the other. That's what happened in Texas in the 90s. Everybody used to be Democrat. Now it's a blowout for Republican. So New Mexico is on the dark horse list. New Jersey is on the dark horse list. Oregon and Washington and Hawaii. Oregon and Washington? And Hawaii. Okay. 
Well, I'm so I think Trump won. Oh, no question. Yeah, I know. I know. We all know he won. So yeah. it's a really hard thing. And this is a, a very deep question. And maybe you feel it's not. It's outside where you want to um, wander and expressing an opinion. But given we all know that, and, and I think millions of Americans know, is there an avenue to have this election reversed or not? Absolutely. What is it? Well, Sidney Powell has pointed out Supreme Court precedent is fraud vitiates all subsequent decisions. Yes, and, it does. and so and then since the legislatures have plenary authority, we only need three of the states. We only need, say, Wisconsin. Pennsylvania's right behind, by the way. I was just there in Gettysburg. A big, big event there with uh, Doug Mastriano. Right beyond meaning tuned into what's occurred. Where, yeah. It, 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 Pennsylvania is easy to decertify because it was never legally certified. Okay. It, okay. it was always illegally certified by their own records. So it's easy to decertify. So we got Wisconsin. Now they've admitted Pennsylvania. Now we only need one other state, say Georgia or Arizona, to decertify. And, of course, Arizona, because everybody knows what's going on there. Any, any of those three, and Biden is under 270, and that goes to the 12th com- Amendment. Put a comma there. For our radio listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Go to the website, americacanwetalk.org, and you'll hear the rest of the show there. I'll talk to you again next time, Monday at 3. Okay. The 12th Amendment says if either of the candidates gets, doesn't get to 270, it goes, it goes to one vote per state by majority vote. That would make it 37-14 Trump. So if three start, states decertify, it's all done anyway. So is this, you know, what's an interesting, it's a pragmatic problem because say, say three or more states decertify. Right. What's the driving force to get the to move it from acknowledging those states you certified to getting it to the one state per vote? I, it's the twelfth. It's the twelfth amendment. It's in the Constitution. I, I mean, I'm talking about litigation. Is it who's is this Trump suing? It's not Biden? litigation. It's it's an automatic. Um, it's automatic governmental act, action at, at, at the Senate and legislature at the Congress. It, it takes place in the Congress. Uh, Congress would be forced to bring Congress. this about. Yes, it's it's a congressional action. I mean, I've, I've read all about what you're describing. I thought it would require some litigation to no, force no, no. the action. No, no, no. You know, once, it, once it's there, it's at. It's the 12th Amendment. But it's, this is a bigger problem than just the president, though. Because if you decertify, let's say you decertify uh, the election in Wisconsin. What about all the local elections? What right. about all those people? What about the sheriff that lost over there, the U.S. congressman that lost here or there? The senators the, from Georgia. I mean, the, it's like a huge problem. This is a massive constitutional crisis. So I'm not necessarily in favor of merely decertifying and then saying, okay, now Trump is in, now we're all better. No, this is a big problem. It's almost like we need a whole do-over or something. Of the entire election of 2020. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because there are a lot of people that are disenfranchised that yes. should have had a chance to win. And look at all the negative stuff that's happened since because, because of the way the election happened. There's a lot of stuff that's got to be undone. Seth Cashel, are you on board for that kind of massive redo? A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm on board with everything that he said, number one, because I don't think I could add anything of further value to that. But you can't just allow for elections to be determined in that fashion. Even in the middle of the night on election night, is that the kind of country that we're going to live in? No. So everyone has questions and problems about the election based on what they observed. Hey, other people can dial into different details to give you greater clarity on that. So absolutely, anything from the past is fraudulent. And it's not just the presidency. Right. The makeup of the U.S. House, the U.S. Senate. Exactly. Down ticket races. You know, we have people that are in Blanco County in Texas. So something so small, you can't really even pick it up. I mean, I've heard reports that people won in races there that nobody expected. So dozen votes here, 10 votes there, down ballot. All of our races are Mm -hmm. questionable now based on stuff that's not just conspiracy theory anymore. Right. It's proven. 
It's proven. Ten votes per county in Nebraska, and they win, they win their uh, gambling initiative. I just came from South Dakota, and, and they have the same thing there with the marijuana initiative. Just the smallest number of votes stolen from every county, and they win the initiative. All that stuff has to be undone. I'm telling you, if this were to occur, as you're describing, and I'm completely in favor of it, we would see such a, a massive outpouring by American citizens yeah. who recognize the election was stolen, yes. the country was stolen, yes. and they, you would see them pushing back saying, we want our country. It would be a massive, it would be a big change in America. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So we have a microphone. Do we have any questions out there? I, I know what time it is, 4 o'clock, but you know what? No one has a studio next, and so and uh, so I think we're okay here. And speak up, please, in the microphone. I'll be quick. The question is... All this is great, and assume you get everything done right as far as the election process. The media is involved. They're reporting on things before the polls have closed in the furthest west, Hawaii or wherever. How is that fair for people that are wanting to vote one way in Hawaii, but they're already being swayed by hearing an election is already done, that the counties are reported? How do we get the media out of everything like they should be anyway? Don't let them know anything. Just unplug everything. If everything's dark till the polls close, then everything everything should be dark before the polls close, and then everything should be transparent afterwards. But who decrees that? Uh, every according to the Constitution, every state would decide its own strategy, and I'm I'm in favor of that. Yeah, I I love the idea um, that the Constitution is being talked about so openly, and that yes. it, it does really negate what the left is trying to do right now in Washington with the For the People Act, trying to take over the elections. Yeah. I don't want. I mean, I hear people on our side saying we got to get Trump back in and big national laws. No, it's got to stay in the states, but yes. the states have to be honest and transparent. Did you yeah. want to add something, Seth? No, he's right on that. And another thing is to realize that the media's job is to obfuscate things and to make things difficult to see. And that's why you have the narratives building up before all elections to make sure that people accept the results that come downhill. Excellent. Excellent okay. point. I have a question. I'm in favor of everything you said. Love the 10. I've been working on that in my own little realm here in Texas. There's two big pushbacks and I'd love to hear how you would overcome these obstacles. One is when you limit mail-in ballot or do away with it with your little asterisk, military overseas and uh, disabled with a notary or whatever. The mamas of the college-age kids are going to scream because they want their college-age kids who are out of state or even out of town to vote. So I'd like for you to help us overcome that objection. And then the other thing that we're looking at is precinct-only voting. I don't have, think you have to go smaller than a precinct, at least in Dallas County. Don't know about all over the state. But staffing is a huge problem because just in Dallas County, we have a little bit over 800 precincts. Republicans can't even staff 450 vote locations in Dallas County. So staffing is a problem. Can you help me in making the case, which I agree with, limited, very limited uh, mail-in ballot and precinct-only voting, knowing what these obstacles are that we're gonna be hearing pushback from? I'll go first. He might, he might have a little more heart than I will. My heart is gonna say, if you wanna vote, come home and vote. Otherwise, we're not gonna send out a bunch of ballots that are gonna be retrieved at some dorm somewhere. People died, people died for this. So, you know, the least you can do is turn out to vote. Um, yeah. 
I, I think there, was, there were multiple questions there. The objections of, of the, the students, and then what was the second part? Staffing for oh, yeah, precinct-only voting. So I don't think we got into this mess. Here's how I describe it. You could pay somebody to raise your children, but it comes out better if you use your own two hands. Okay? You could pay somebody to run your elections, but it comes out better if you use your own two hands. The, we have as a country, we, it's taken us decades to get into this mode where we think we're going to pay somebody else to do something that's critical to our whole country. And so it, it's, it's not, we're not going to get out of this overnight. Okay, we're going to have to reteach our people. And this is one of the things that's exciting to me since I, I'm, I'm, I know Seth has seen this too, because we travel, I mean, I've been in person in over 30 states. The people are rising up and they're remembering, yes. they're remembering, oh my gosh, we're supposed to have a civic responsibility. We're supposed to be contributing this. We're supposed to be part of this. So I don't think we're going to have a volunteer problem anymore after this. I think we have plenty of volunteers because everybody wants to be a hawk around the process. So, so I, think, I think that's, it took us a long time to get to here. I think it's going to take some education to get us out. Yeah, there was some commentary. One or maybe both of you put on your Telegram channel, uh, it was a link to someone's Substack article, which was talking about it's taken us a long time to get where we are, and it may take us a long time to get to get America back, to get back on track, and it's got to be the people who care the most are going to be the ones to get involved and do it. Right. It's, it's only, just, we only, it's the super moms I'm finding. It seems like every state there's a, there's like, <laughs> there it is. It seems like every state there's this, there's this coterie of, of, of mama bears that they're like a force to be reckoned with. And they're changing the world. I'm every state's got this little cadre and they're like killing it. This room is full of them. Yeah. I noticed. <laughs> I noticed. So, is you, oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I wanted to, I wanted just her to read the questions, but anyway. I, a couple of things. First of all, um, we, you know, we have the majority in Austin, but we, and we've been down there so many times, you know, to try to convince them to, or help rash, reason with them to try to help us with this. And they always cower to the Democrats, Sue them for their just bonds. like SB1, you yeah. know, I mean, wh why all of a sudden it, we, nobody cares if it's a misdemeanor. I mean, if fraud is a misdemeanor, so I don't under, I don't know what to do at this point. I guess no more, Mr. Nice Guy. I'd be yeah. go for it. I'd be careful with how you use that word. We. <laughs> we. Right. Okay. There is no we between you and what is in Austin, with very few exceptions. There are a few gentlemen in that legislature that I know that are legitimate patriots that care and what happens is they get put on committees that don't matter as much that don't deal with the critical issues mm -hmm. the republican party in texas has lost its backbone there used to be a serious attitude with the texas gop where they loved crushing the democrats and now that there was finally a close shot fired in this state in 2018 with the senate race whether that was fully legitimate or not they've been cowering and worried about turning blue. So it's just like any game, when, it, when your defense goes into a prevent defense, the next thing that happens is the offense drives down the field, scores a touchdown. And we're in a prevent defense trying to make sure Texas doesn't turn blue. And in doing so, have fielded weaker policies and weaker leaders that will probably organically turn the state blue just by default. So the governor and lieutenant governor said they were going to support Steve Tote's audit bill here in Texas, the one that would do a full forensic audit in 13, the top 13 population counties. And then they never followed through on their commitment to President Trump to support the bill. Mm -hmm. Steve Munisteri is a chief aide to Greg Abbott and he will straight up deny any sort of election fraud in Texas, even when there's downright proof. 
There was a Secretary of State audit release that showed all of the corruption in the voter rolls, 450,000 plus duplicate registrations, 200 plus thousand deceased voters on the rolls during the 2020 election. Now we don't know how many of them actually voted. So you had about 685,000 that were reported discrepancies in the voter rolls, which is the foundation of election fraud. So what they're doing is not doing their due diligence with elections. And at worst case, it may be a tool that's used by both parties and primaries and not it worthy is. of being uncovered. That, that, that's, I, I just want to say that real quickly. You're right. I mean, a thousand percent. They're really not Republicans. Ask your, ask your rep, right. ask your rep, no one deserves your, no one, no incumbent deserves to be reelected right. unless they're on the record about elections. We'll, we'll go ahead and use the, 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 the right very there. safe term election integrity. They'll, they'll usually talk about it, but if you ask, hey, what do you think about 2020? We have this evidence. What do you think about doing about this? Yeah. And if the answer is move on as a party, is bad for our party, then that is a no-go for any sort of candidate. Yeah. This, is, this is an important point. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is an important point. I, I, when I first started this work, I thought we were going to solve problems by going to the legislatures, by going to the leaders. And I've learned that's not what's working. It's important that we keep doing that and keeping the pressure on. The reason they're now listening is because the local counties and the local groups yes. are rising up. And that's why I'm spending all my time. Well, not all my time. I spend every day with the small counties, getting working with the commissioners. And this is what I wanted to I wanted to tell you. This is how you can apply pressure. You you elect those people so you can put local pressure on those people. And if they don't comply, you sue them for their surety bonds and they're resigning. They will resign because they don't want it to go to court because if it goes to court. You prove the fraud and they and so they receive pressure from the top down to, re, to resign rather than for it to go to court. So then you can reelect and you can replace your leaders. I was just in Kansas. I just came from there. They've replaced several school boards and commissioner boards already. Just with the surety the, bond. With the surety method. bond. It's bond for the, it's, it's called bondsforthewin.com. It's a brilliant strategy because they can't serve in public office without the bond. You sue them for their bond. It goes to court. Boom. There you go. It's a great strategy. Local really pressure. Short, really, Local really, pressure. Really, really short, Beth. Sorry. Okay, we've got a general coming up in November. We have a very important race, county judge race in Dallas County. We won't have paper ballots and the rest of your 10 things. What can we do to keep that race from being stolen with what we've got with electronic equipment? Mike always says he couldn't be elected dog catcher. Um, you only have one recourse, and that's you have to overwhelm it. You have yeah. to, because there's, there's a limit. Like I said, there aren't enough body. There aren't enough bodies in the state to stuff enough to, to, to have Trump lose in some states. So you only have one recourse. If you want to keep that judge, you have to get the big turnout. And by the way, while we're talking about that, primaries are even more vulnerable because the turnout's lower. And if you think about it, if you have dirty rolls and you have a lower turnout, that's a bigger credit line to cheat with. Yep. So the so the, the primaries are where you really have to get the you have to get the turnout huge turnout um, in in the primary. It's even more important to get a turnout in the primary than it is in the general. I have to jump in. First of all, brilliant points, both of you. And thank you. There are so many more questions. I knew this was going to be a very powerful, compelling show. Uh, please help me thank our guests. I'm really so grateful to be here. Thank you. And both Seth and then Dr. Frank. You mentioned ways people can help, the mama bears, or all the things you can do in super surety bonds. Given what you do and you're traveling around the country, if people, listeners or people here want to help you, what can they do? Is there any quick place to go to sign things or how can they help you? 
or Seth, go ahead. I would get involved in learning about these elections, learning the points and changing minds. The, the number continues to go up. People that are concerned about our elections continues to go up. And also talk to people you don't agree with. You'll actually find more consensus than you think on this issue. That's the best thing that you can do is to start educating people even around your own table. Rasmussen put out a poll in November showing that it was at that point 59% of the American people believed that the outcome of the 2020 general election was fraudulent. 59%. That was only in November. We've had several months since, and I know the number is growing. So, and I, why is it growing? Because the grassroots is growing up and getting louder and louder. And I think the best way to do that is what I call canvassing. You join a local canvassing group. When you knock on a door and you, and you knock on somebody's door and you say, um, you know, there are four people registered to vote here and they all voted, but only two people live there. The two people that live there are converts now. They now know there was fraud at their house. And they don't just say, oh, wow, there's fraud here. They tell all their neighbors. And, and then you as a, as a person, as a human being, you say, I found two phantom voters myself. And you tell all your friends. And so the, I think the cam, canvassing is important because it gathers evidence, which allows you to pressure your local officials. But it's really evangelism as well. You're spreading the word. You're raising, you're raising awareness of the fraud that's taking place in your own community. Love it. I thank both of you so much for coming, Tim, for staying longer than an hour. Thank you so very much. It was wonderful to have you. For our listeners, I'll tell you, next week, our Thursday show features Julie Kelly. She's been a fabulous writer at American Greatness, and she is laser-focused on January 6th, the failure to follow due process required by our Constitution, the treatment by the individuals in the jail conditions, uh, and she's been following the prosecutions and comparing the standard used uh, to apply to, to charge people involved in the January 6th episode at the Congress uh, versus the conduct of people throughout the entire summer of 20 and 21, where we had you know, we had Antifa and um, riots and just just horrible, destructive behavior on, um, by Black Lives Matter and Antifa with very different standards of justice applied. So she's been a, a real leader nationally speaking about that. So that's Julie Kelly next Thursday. And in closing out, I want to thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can